Hi, love. My name is Nitika Chopra, and I am your host for the podcast, Thriving Together. I'm so excited about this show because we are going to genuinely be on the journey together. I'll be sharing lots of behind the scenes and as many unfiltered moments from my life as I possibly can as I take you through what it has meant for me to learn how to thrive and the ways that I'm still learning every single day. While you will be on your own journey of thriving, figuring out what that means for you. And I know that so many of you out there might not even know if thriving is possible, but I want you to know through this podcast and this show that it absolutely is, but it has to be on your own terms. Thank you so much for being here with me and let's get started with thriving together. Hey loves, I am so pumped to be giving you this interview this week. It is such a special one. I got on um, the interview a little bit ago and I was feeling so tired and just like low energy as, as it happens to all of us because there's just been a lot going on in my life. And oh my gosh, the moment I started talking to our guest today, I just felt so filled with so much love and it's reasons like that, that I, you know, typically don't like cancel or reschedule because I know as soon as I'm doing this work and I get to have these amazing conversations, it's going to fill me up versus like deplete me and make me more tired, which is just such a blessing that I am always grateful for. And today I got to speak with the incredible Presana Ranganathan. And Presana is someone that I met right before we did the in-person Chronicon um, on May 19th this year. And gosh, it feels like a lifetime <laughs> since that event. But I um I absolutely fell in love with Presana's spirit and story. And the way Preston are really just like, oh my gosh, he just, he has such strength and intentionality and oh my gosh, he has such light and um, wisdom. And I, I could just go on and on and on about all of the things that I feel about Preston when I get to be around his energy. So I am really excited that you get to see or hear a bit about what um, what Preston has been up to. And also, um, yeah, there's like, honestly, right now, there's so many things swimming around in my head because I'm looking at Preston's bio and it is so incredible. There's so many things that he has done. So I want to make sure that you go and take a look at it. Um, on our website where the show notes are for this episode. It's, it's long. And I think this is even the shorter one because there's just so much that Presima has been doing. Um, I'll give you a little bit of the highlights, very, very little though, because there's so much I could share, but, um, you know, Presima is a documentary producer, a human rights lawyer, a diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging consultant for over 16 years, actually. Um, he has experience with that and an accessibility advisor, a speaker, author, correspondent, writer, and arts columnist. Um, I mean, just one of the jobs that Preston has had is he's served as the head of diversity and belonging at Shopify. Um, and it's just done such incredible, incredible things. So I am so excited to share this conversation with you, and I hope you go to our website to read his full bio because there's really an extensive amount that he has been doing over the last couple of decades now. And um, our conversation was so special and so beautiful, and I always am just excited and, and touched by how things evolve. I feel like I go in thinking we're going to talk about one thing, and then we end up just really opening up to so many other things. And we did talk a bit about friendship, um, which is our theme for this month in Chronicon's community. And it was, it was so beautiful the way that we talked about it. We both, I think, shared things that, you know, we don't always share in these types of forums. So it was really nice to kind of have those moments with him. And I think a lot of you will get just so much out of listening to Presma's perspective around relationships and friendships, 
We talked about, um, you know, disclosing our conditions and disabilities and how sometimes we get to choose whether or not we disclose them and sometimes we don't and just the nuances of that. So there's so much I could share with you about this conversation. Um, I loved talking to Presima and um, I think you're going to really love the episode. So I'm going to go let you listen to this. And um, here is this week's episode of Thriving Together. All right, everybody. I am so excited to have our amazing guest, Presima Ranganathan, with us today. And I was just telling Presima that I am so low energy today. (laughs) And like, you are probably one of the only people that I would be excited to talk to on a day like today when my energy and my spoons are low, because I know that you have just like the brightest spirit and you're so intentional with everything that you do. It makes me want to be around you. So I'm selfishly like soaking up your good energy today (laughs) as I like recover from coming back from my brother's wedding and, you know, rest and stuff like that. So thanks for being here with us today. Gosh, thank you so much for having me. And I hope my energy lives up to the hype. I'm wearing florals. So for all those people who want visuals, I'm wearing florals. So let's bring the energy of my shirt to this conversation. (laughs) No, you are. That was like something so many people said to me after Chronicon like people would talk about the different panels and like what they liked and all these different things. And then everyone would be like, oh my gosh, I'm that first panelist, the moderator. And I was like, press enough. And they were like, yeah, you know, so, so many people just loved your energy and it's not just the energy, right? Because like so many people can be like, you know, full of life and have high energy. It's like, I think it's really the intention that you have behind that energy, you know, it's like of uplifting others and wanting other people to feel supported and valued and all of that, that just comes through with everything that you do. That's so kind. Thank you so much. I I loved Chronicon for anyone who has never attended or you're thinking about attending in the future. It is by far the best conference experience I've had in my life. Uh, To be in a room where you feel completely welcomed, completely seen, completely valued and validated for who you are. And you can navigate a space that's accessible. You can navigate experiences that are accessible. And not just that, but experiences that are intentionally designed with you in mind. I cannot say enough. I've been talking to everybody and just saying, when you design a conference, Chronicon is the blueprint. It's no longer just AODA requirements or ADA requirements in the States. It is creating an experience where we feel like the fullness of who we are can be brought to the experience. And you did that. And huge congratulations. Oh, you're so sweet. I really appreciate that because it definitely is, I think part of why like my energy is maybe a little low, like coming off of everything is it's just like, I think it is more of a vulnerable thing than I often even realize in the moment, you know, like, I love this work so much. And so I have fun doing it. And it's like exciting for me. And it does genuinely feel like such a privilege to do the work that you know, we're doing. Um, But then yeah, I think afterwards, I kind of have like a little bit of a vulnerability hangover, because it's like the whole time I'm sort of holding my breath and hoping what you just said, like hoping people get that and feel that, but you really don't know if anyone is going to until after the fact. Totally. And I think there's something really profound about being in a space where you can feel like someone who has created it has literally taken their heart and is holding it in their hands as an offering to everybody coming into the space. And that creates such a sense of safety and security and acceptance and just feeling embraced. But I don't often think that we think about how much goes into that, how much intention and thought and care. And also because so many times in conferences of this nature where we're talking about disability or chronic illness, it's individuals who have faced repeated harm in the past. So people who've experienced exclusion or othering or marginalization. And so drawing from that wellspring of pain or experience, we're trying to create something that doesn't replicate those old harmful patterns. So there's so much in it. It's like, I'm offering you my heart. I'm offering you the fullness of my spirit to create this opportunity that I hope matches what I'm offering. But at the same time, in behind the scenes, you're like, I'm literally laying everything about myself bare to the world. Um, And so there's such a profound power in that and also so much vulnerability involved in that as well. 
Yeah, that makes me emotional to think about because I think, um, I mean, I do think it's a privilege for us to be able to do those things, Mm -hmm. right? Like to even say, I'm going to invest this energy. I know there are times in my own life where I didn't have that privilege of saying like, okay, I'm going to push myself a little harder because I just genuinely physically couldn't do that. Um, so yeah, it just means a lot that, you know, it was seen and that you all showed up so beautifully. Like I just could not have asked for a better day and you being there and all the speakers and guests were like just everything. It made it what it, what it was, you know? I mean, it's funny because I'm like, I feel like you curated incredible panels, but you also curated what I describe as the dinner table of best friends like uh, I walked away from the panel being like okay I'm friends with Dr. Akila Kaday I'm friends with uh, Gretchen I'm friends with Dr. Bannock like we just like the conversation was so rich in the moment but I learned so much from each of them and just like walking away with that sense of oh I met people who are doing this work with the fullness of their hearts and I'm so 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 honored to have shared space with them. Yeah. And I mean, speaking of this work, you know, I want to really understand what your journey has been with the work that you're doing. You mentioned right before we started recording that it's Disability Pride Month this month. I want to know what that means for you. Like, I want to understand like how you became the person that you are. You're such a light. And I keep saying this, but like, it's from this very, I feel it's from this like very deep and intentional place which is palpable you know and i just love that so much about you and um shout out to our friend como minhas who introduced us at the 11th hour i'm like oh my gosh this i literally was waiting to fill that moderator spot in the first panel it was like it's not feeling right i don't know it's not clicking you know and then she mentioned you to me and i was like that's it that's the person i've been waiting for (laughs) literally i always always describe komal as the uh, the nucleus of a relationship molecule or like she's the sort of the sun of a solar system like she draws people to her and connects people and so yeah that that's a power that I'm I'm in such awe of and I, I absolutely <laughs> adore her but I, I think my journey uh, to this work has been both deeply personal and also professional uh, and I think the two are inextricably intertwined I try to describe my career. I'm like, oh, I can use a number of words. I'm a human rights lawyer. I'm a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner. I'm an accessibility advisor. I'm a documentary filmmaker. I'm an author. I'm a writer. Okay, these are all words. But then the central storyline of it all is when I think about the choices I've made in my life, it is what are the spaces that I have not had access to by virtue of my different dimensions of diversity? So as someone who's blind, um, as someone who is queer, as someone who is racialized, what are the opportunities that have not automatically been available to me? And what are the, the steps I've taken or the struggles I've sort of confronted in order to get access to places that might be readily available to other people who maybe have different forms of privilege. And so the question I often ask myself growing up are, what are the stories that are being told and what are the stories that were not being told? And the stories that were told are often when I think about popular media as a kid who grew up on television and film and continues to love it, I often was curious about how am I finding empathy and connection to the stories I'm seeing on screen? I don't see myself reflected, but I'm able to sort of find like themes or things that I would link to my life. And now as I see stories representing more of the full spectrum of our experiences, I'm like, wow, what would it have been like to grow up with these stories? To have seen myself and my family reflected on screen, to know that I'm not alone. Um, And so that's ultimately been my calling in life is, Who's in the room? Who's not in the room? What are the barriers that exist that are keeping people out? And what can I do as an individual and as a professional across different sectors to remove those barriers so that we create organizations that reflect the world in which we live? So beautifully said. And what comes up for me is I want to know, I always want to go to like, you know, the deepest levels that we can, right? So I want to know like, what is it about you that 
had you make those choices to say, okay, I know I'm being marginalized in like 50 different ways. Okay. Yeah. Like seriously over and over and over and over again, but I'm going to do something about it. Like what made you be that person? What is it about your, what are those thoughts that you had or those beliefs that you had? I think I was always an audacious streamer. I describe myself as someone who sometimes I describe myself as like the Goldilocks of like career planning where it's like, this bed is too hard. This bed is too soft. This one is just right. So it's like, I'm always kind of curiously exploring like what works for me? What doesn't work for me? Why can't I be in that space? And so in many ways, that's what drew me to a career in law, but it was this insatiable desire to understand why I wasn't there or why couldn't I go there or what was the reason I wasn't allowed there. And for a long time, what you're internalized and told by society is like, if you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. And it's a narrative trope that's used like in storytelling. It's a narrative trope that's used in parental advice. Like I love our parents, but sometimes it's just like, keep working hard. Um, and sometimes it's used, uh, as we saw last week in that tragic decision, the affirmative action decision from the S Supreme Court of the United States, the idea being that they are saying the majority in that decision said everyone is equal and so we should remove these affirmative action protections. And we all know that that's not true. We don't start from an, an even starting point. We all face barriers that other people don't face. And so for me, I think it was first of all realizing or internalizing the message like if I work hard enough, I can achieve my dreams. And then gradually that morphing into, oh, I can work as hard as I can work and there will still be barriers in front of me. And that realization was equal parts devastating because all of the tools that you'd been given as a child, which were work hard, put in all the effort, make sure that you're like extra committed to everything. All of those tools don't serve you when you ultimately realize that society is set up in a way that keeps certain people out, that marginalizes communities, that there's um, principles of white supremacy, ableism, sexism, racism, misogyny that are keeping people out. And so when you realize that you're not only working hard as an individual, but you also need to figure out how can you use your skills in service to a world that is otherwise keeping you out or not regarding you as equal. And then how can you use those skills to dismantle those structures or at least call attention to those structures so that in the future, your path might be slightly easier, but more broadly, that you're doing the work so that future generations may not have to face the same barriers you did, which is what I know my parents did. My dad came to Canada in the 60s, won a few racialized people at his university pursuing a PhD, and he talked to me about the many sort of solitary pathways he took to the career and the life that he built in Canada. And when I think about that, so many of those things, people are like, oh, but think of all the progress that's happened. I'm like, yeah, but the linear, like the, the tropes or the narratives of being the one and only, of having to fight against a system that doesn't see you as fully human, those continue to exist. They've just shape-shifted in a way or worn the latest spring 2023 collection of fashion to hide the fact that um, while they may look different, those systems still operate in practice. Yeah. Wow. I resonate with what you're saying so deeply. And it actually like makes me think of a conversation I had with my parents. I don't think either of them listened to my podcast, but I guess we're about to find out. But um, I, I had a conversation with my parents this morning, just like in passing, I was talking to them and I was like, you know, I really feel kind of what I said to you when we first uh, got on our call today, which I was just like, I really feel like I've been pushing so hard and I really pushed to like birth Chronicon this year after a lot of health stuff I went through and then my brother's wedding and all this stuff. So I think I want to take this summer, like the next two months of summer and just like really allow myself to recharge and have some fun and just like rest. The look of fear. <laughs> <laughs> that both of my parents and even though like and I it's also like very precious because I know that they're trying not to yeah. have that fear right so it's like this wrestling of like you know and then like the first thing my mom is like oh when you know when is that keynote that you're doing or like when is this happening I was like mom it's all happening it's all fine I'm fine like I don't have to and, and I think it's really interesting too, because there is this feeling that because we are like, for me, 
you know, I'm a brown woman and I have three chronic illnesses, right? And so I'm just like, I feel like I have to work 10 times harder than the person next to me. And so then that's like even more on top of that. And so, yeah, I, I want to know also for you, like, where does rest come into play? Because I'm, I'm struggling with that today, even like I'm trying to rest and I think I'm doing a pretty good job, but my whole like tape in my mind as I'm sitting on my couch, like having a nice afternoon and enjoying myself is you should be up. Or if you're not up, you should at least like, go, if you're not up working, you should at least go outside. Cause it's like a nice day out. It's not raining. Like you should be doing something. You should, you should, you should, you should. Oh, and yeah. I feel really guilty yeah. even though I know I shouldn't feel guilty, you know? Yeah. So what do you think about that? Like, would I you mean, ever wrestle with that? Oh, that resonates with me quite a bit. The, I, I describe it. I read this book by Michael Singer. It's called the untethered soul. And yeah. one of the chapters is the inner roommate and the inner roommate who has a constant narrative about what you should be doing. Oh my gosh, who are you to be resting today? Who do you think you are that you've earned the right to just like sit on your couch or read a book or aren't there a million other things you should be doing? And the inner roommate is telling us a narrative about ourselves. That's not rooted in reality. That's not rooted in compassion. That's not rooted in kindness and yet it's the voice we most often succumb to and so that book was such a game changer for me because it was how do you determine the difference between the inner roommate or the inner critic who's constantly critical of your existence and making you feel less than versus your intuition or the inner seer who tells you that you are not your inner thoughts you are not your inner critic you are not your body you're not your like feelings you are actually the observer of all of these things and you have the power to, of discernment to make a choice to live a life in alignment with your purpose um, and that comes with first recognizing how to tune that mean inner critic out yes oh my god that's such a good reminder we actually uh read that book for our book club in Chronicon <sighs> like a while ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so a bunch of folks um you know have definitely listened to it or, or read it um and I I love that reminder because I I do forget it and I think something I've been working on lately as I've been doing a lot of um nervous system work so mm -hmm. like learning about the parasympathetic and the um sympathetic nervous system and I've been learning that like when you're in a parasympathetic, so like a rest and digest place versus a fight or flight, you're in the present moment, mm. right? So you're not in this space of like, I should be doing something else. That just like, I just re got reminded of that when you shared that little story about the untethered soul. Yeah. Um, so if I'm in a, a parasympathetic place, a rest and digest place, I'm just allowing myself to be on the couch and I'm not like, you should be doing something else. Um, and so, yeah, I need to remember that uh, more and more and yeah. more. And I mean, not to take it back to the untethered soul, but I will yeah. because it's also the smallest book that's given me the most lessons. I always describe it as like, you'll see the book, you'll be like, oh, I'll plow through that. And then you realize I need to read this very slowly because I was highlighting every sentence. But the other thing that's a huge reminder, which some, might be a bit dark, but the, the, the chapter is okay. called Death is the Ultimate Teacher. And it says when people speak about your life in eulogy or at your memorial, they're not talking about the things you did on a daily basis to be productive. In fact, they're not even talking about your career achievements or what you did. It was who were you as an individual, what were your values, and how did you make other people feel? And so if we make choices in our life knowing that that's how we are remembered, that's our impact, then what are the choices we're going to make to prioritize rest for ourselves, to build a life that is multifaceted, where work isn't the nucleus of our life, but it's an element of our life. And then if we know that in the depths of our spirit, that the purpose of our life is to be multifaceted, to be in alignment with our purpose, to like live and love out loud, to make people feel slightly better about themselves then what are the choices we'll make to do that? And I think that's so exciting to be aware of that in the moment, as opposed to looking back on our lives and saying, why didn't I think of it sooner? Yeah, I think that is such a powerful, powerful reminder. And it, it reminds me of, you know, it just makes me think of rather connection and our yeah. connection with others. And our theme for the month of um, July for Chronicon in our community and our app 
is all about friendship. And so we've been talking so much about friendship. I think a lot of people in Chronicon have shared that friendship has been really challenging while navigating their health. I know for me, I was sharing with them that, you know, for a very, very long time, I felt so othered that like when I would meet a friend, like I would hold on for dear life. Mm. I didn't have that like emotional regulation where things kind of could grow slowly. I really felt like an intensity because I felt so on the outside all the time. And I think a lot of our community members felt very similar um, or just felt very rejected, you know? Mm. And so I wanted to know, like, how has your experience been with friendship, whether it's when you were younger or now? What yeah. comes up for you when I, when I mention that? Well, I, I think of two things. One, I, and they're both quotes, and I wish I could attribute them, so apologies in advance. But um, one for me that stands out is friends are the family you choose. So for those deep friendships, those ones that sort of transcend time and space you don't need to be co-located in the same city with them but there are people who you maybe didn't even talk to in a year but the moment you pick up the phone or you meet in person it's like no time has passed you're not necessarily filling each other in on the details of your life but you're going right into the conversations of I feel really sad or this is really hard or I really don't know what to do next and that person like I said, steps into the void or comes into the void and says like, I've got you, let's talk about this, let's explore it. So friends are the family you choose. And often as an only child, that was really true for me. I didn't grow up with siblings who were sort of a built-in potential friend network. Although talking to friends who have siblings, they're like, that's not always the case. So, um, but just like not having that, I've always been very intentional about making friends. And I also think I'm someone who makes friends very quickly um, and then says, oh my gosh, we're such good friends. Like I do that a lot. Um, And so I'm trying to, as I get older, be more intentional about this can be someone I really care about and I enjoy spending time with, but is it someone who would be there for me at any moment? Would I be able to step into the void to be there for that person at any moment? So that's one quote that I use for friendship that really helps me. The other is something that helped me extend grace to people when our relationships shifted. So what that quote is, some people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And joy and reverence comes when you recognize and respect those individuals for what they've brought to your life. Pain and sadness comes when you expect reason and season friendships to be lifetime friendships. And so a reason friendship might be you both um, went through a really difficult time together and you were able to bond. So for example, maybe it was someone who was also living alone during the pandemic, the early stages of the pandemic, and that connection was really important for you to build that sense of community. Um, A seasoned friendship might be a colleague that you worked with at a job that was maybe particularly fraught and you really built your friendship on supporting one another by through working with a toxic boss or even just a really challenging time or maybe it was really creatively fulfilling and you both felt like that charge of friendship. And then there's the lifetime friendship, which can be born because of a reason or a season, but it's something that you just continue on with throughout your life. For the longest time, for me, I used to be like, when I made a friend, I had to have that friend for life. So it was regular check-ins or trying to do everything to the point where I would feel burnt out or the other person would feel burnt out. And then it was coming, when I saw this quote, it was a realization that there is so much joy and reverence to be had in recognizing when a friendship might be time limited. It's not because you feel anger towards that friend or something is wrong, but it's just realizing that there's such richness and reverence to be had in relationship with a person, regardless of how long it is. And once I made that realization, um, friendships became a lot more easy and like ease filled and just like, you just hold a lot of love for people and it doesn't necessarily have to be you're in contact with them every day. Yeah, that's also so beautifully said. I think that's that's probably been one of my bigger challenges when it comes to friendship is, you know, once I feel connected to somebody, you know, that attachment happens. Like I, I've read so many books on attachment theory and I'm definitely an anxious attached person. And 
Yeah. And so I think I've, I actually do think I've become more secure attached than anxious over the years, but I still very much have that mechanism when I feel close to someone um, and feel like we should be in contact more or there's something wrong if we aren't in contact all the time. And so retraining my brain, because you're right, like when you were saying like, not only did they get burned out, but you also get burned out. You're just like used to doing that thing. That's something I've been noticing so much. Um, I feel like I've just been seeing that like, I actually could use less contact with people, but I've trained people in my life to think that we're supposed to be in contact a certain amount because I've always been that way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. The last few years have taught us the importance of extending grace to people. Like I think, pre-pandemic if you hadn't heard from a friend despite repeated attempts to try to reach out to them there was always this thing of like oh my gosh what did I do wrong how could they abandon me like this what like that is so rude and awful like I've been there for them so many times and like they can't even respond I think over the course of the last four years we've gradually realized that we don't know what journey another individual is on We've gotten repeated reminders of like someone might be facing something that doesn't allow them to show up in the fullness of who they are. Somebody might be facing barriers that like are too traumatic for them to talk about. Um, And I think there's been a a gradual sort of extension of grace in a way I think there hasn't been in the past. And and I might be wrong, um, but I've felt this where I think we're more willing to allow space for nuance Um, as opposed to potentially, when it comes to friends anyway, rushing to ascribe their behaviors to certain decisions or choices that they've made about us. It's not all about us. I know. I don't think you're wrong. I think it's true. I think I've heard more and more stories, even just from friends telling me about their experiences, where they'll be like, really upset, and then they'll connect with that person they haven't connected with forever, and they'll find out, you know, they went, they experienced like a tragic loss or like they lost their job or they, you know, had a breakup or divorce or something like such, so much upheaval has happened for so many people, especially over this last few years of the pandemic. And, um, I do think my instinct now is to assume like, oh, they must be going through something versus assume that they've like abandoned me and like hate me or something. Yeah. Or I did something wrong and that's why they don't want to talk to me. Like there's just more space. I feel like for some nuance, but yeah, it's definitely been a learning experience. I think so too. You know, one of the things that comes up a lot um, in the community is talking to people. This comes up probably maybe a little bit more when it comes to romantic relationships, but I think it comes up with friendships too. Um, just about like disclosing, you know, our conditions, our disabilities, whatever the thing might be. And I mean, when I had psoriasis all over my body, I didn't have a choice about disclosing it. Right. So there's that. And, you know, if you're using a mobility aid, like you don't always have a choice. Right. So I just wanted to know if there's anything you can share about what that experience has been like for you around disclosing when you're creating new relationships um, and how you feel about it now. Yeah, that's a great question. I think for me, I I use a cane while walking, uh, my white cane. So in order to navigate spaces, I'm pretty forthright about my disability. So it's if I'm to meet a friend in person, it's it's apparent. Uh, online, I also self-identify pretty quickly because I'll need accommodations for certain things. So if I'm attending a work meeting and I know there's going to be a slide deck shared, I'll need to ask them to share that in advance. So I, I don't have the ability to navigate that conversation as easily. Generally, I have to be pretty forthcoming, which for me actually has been really helpful it's allowed me to show up in the fullness of who I am and then bear witness to how people respond to me and that has allowed me to either devote time if I want to share more context if I feel people are confused but also if people have chosen to exclude or other me it happens pretty quickly so I can make a decision as to do I want to invest time in this relationship is this someone who's respecting me for who I am is this someone who 
would be an ally or an accomplice if I faced barriers and I needed support. Uh, and so for me, I live with my experiences out loud and I, I, and I do that pretty uh, openly right from the outset. Yeah. And was there ever a time that you struggled with it? Because now like we're getting to meet you, you know, yeah. where you've really had to like navigate it for so many years and like yeah. use your voice in this really beautiful way. And now you use your voice to help others um, right. with what they're navigating. So was there ever a time that you did struggle with it or was it something you were just like, nah, I'm good? No, I, I did struggle with it. I struggled with it quite a bit. Um, it's interesting. I found a lot of acceptance in school and, and university, so it wasn't really with peers. It ended up actually mm. being in the employment context. So when I applied for jobs and I did interviews early in my career as a lawyer, I hadn't yet used my cane because the vision loss hadn't progressed to the stage where I needed to. So it wasn't apparent. Uh, and I remember not self-identifying a few times because I the employer said something in the interview which made me believe that that would immediately pull me out of consideration. And a few times when I did self-identify, I never again heard from the employer. Like everything had been going great. We were almost at offer stage. And then I said, okay, I'd like to self-identify. These are some of the accommodations I might need to have in place and then did not hear back. So yeah. I often, when people ask me, what's a good time to self-identify? I actually say to people, you should determine with the person, um, you'll, you'll sort of discern in the interview process when you feel safe to do so. And, and sometimes it's really challenging because someone might make you feel really safe, you self-identify, and then the switch turns because ableism is a real thing. Like it exists and it's insidious. So um, I said like, don't be hard on yourself if you judged a situation or an individual as being someone who'd be inclusive and accepting and then they showed themselves not to be because that's how the structures of oppression work. But I always say trust your gut because people will ask me as a DEI practitioner or as a lawyer, like, when is the right time to self-identify? I'm like, legally, you should be able to self-identify at any point in the process and they shouldn't discriminate against you. But they're never going to write in a file or a document, we didn't hire this person because they're disabled. They're going to say, oh, you know what? We found a candidate that had more years of experience. We found someone who would be, has more relationships with clients in that market. Um, they'll never put this in writing. But you can also sometimes discern when the moment happens where they no longer consider you a viable candidate. So for me, it actually has happened repeatedly in the job context. And then once I've been hired, it's happened repeatedly in getting the accommodations I need to do my job. So in, in the most stark example, it took eight months to get the accommodations in place that I needed. And until I had those accommodations, they wouldn't start the probationary period. So I basically was working for this company for... Uh, double the time of anyone's probation just so that they could get the time to get their accommodations in place. So yeah, I would say the employment context has been the most fraught. Wow, that's, that's so disappointing, not surprising. I'm thinking of um, quite a few people in our community that have been through a lot of things that you just mentioned, like they're yeah. trying to get accommodations at work, or they get fired, and they kind of have a feeling that it's because of the accommodations that they need. Um, and yeah, it is, I mean, it's such a frustrating thing that um, it feels overwhelming to think about because it, yeah. it can impact you on so many different levels. Um, I've experienced it more, I would say, in like romantic relationships. I haven't mm. experienced it that much, but the few times that I can think of were kind of shocking. I was like, is this really happening right now? <laughs> it feels so strange. I'm like, I'm fine with the fact that I can't go on a five mile hike with you because I have arthritis. But like, why are you freaking out about yeah. it? Like it was like, you know, one of those things. Um, and then I would say with friendships, it hasn't been so like extreme, like the way that you're talking about it, but it's been a little bit mo more covert. You know, where it's like they like I remember last year this happened so many times where I I started to get double vision because of my new diagnosis of myasthenia gravis. And so and it would come and go and it wasn't just visual. It was like my brain felt sort of like it was short circuiting when I would get too much stimulation um, and too many things like in my vision or, you know, yeah, that I was looking at or whatever. So like on the streets of New York. It was just too much. So I would tell my friends this and I, most of my friends would just come over, 
you know, they wouldn't even like question, ask anything. It's just like, oh girl, I'll just come over. It's no big deal. You know, like I got you. But I had like one or two friends that like would inevitably always ask me to come meet them somewhere, Mm. even though I repeatedly told them like, hey, I can't like see properly right now. I'm in a lot of physical discomfort or whatever. Um, So it is things like that, that kind of has you see it's what, what I was thinking about when you were sharing your experience is like, it's so devastating and it's also like, it's it's important that we know. Yeah, I call know? it dev- devastating, but clarifying. I was like, mm. devastating because you're just like, you ache for the fact that you've poured so much into this friendship. You care so deeply about that person. And the time when you shared with them, this is what I need to live in the fullness of who I am. And they say, well, I'm not willing to do that for you. And you just say, it is really the bare minimum. Like, I, uh, you couldn't be more, uh, like, it's so much less than a basic request. And if you're raising an issue about this, it's devastating, but it's clarifying. Um, And that has happened with me with friendships. I would say the time it comes up a lot is when people make um, travel plans or going out plans where they'll not really consider your disability, but then they'll make the plan and then send you the invite and be like, oh my gosh, yeah, I hope you can make it. But like, if you can, I totally understand. Or the other time when they don't even invite you. Because like, you know, we just didn't think this would work for you. So like, we'll hang out and do something else another time. And it's like, oh, the lack of consideration is really interesting. But it's so painful. Yeah, but it's painful. And it happens when it happens repeatedly. You just kind of, uh, I was reading Andrew Gerza is uh, on Instagram. He's a disability rights activist and and does some creative writing and stuff. And he talks a lot about how sometimes um, you're constantly in this state of like being hopeful about a friendship or a new relationship and then also being cautious about it. Because you're like, you want to put your whole heart into this friendship, but at the same time, you're just like, I don't know if my heart can sustain being broken again. And when you talked about dating and relationships, like that's a really interesting thing because I'm trying to think like my experience with dating generally hasn't been positive. Um, I haven't felt like I could show up as who I am and be accepted for who I am. So it's just generally been a fraught experience for me. Um, But the few times where it has come up where like someone on a date will be like, well, you don't seem blind. Like you seem like you can see me right now. I'm like, well, sir, I'm holding a cane. I can see colors and shapes, but I can't like, uh, and then you just go into the, why am I explaining my diagnosis to you? Like, why am I giving you like the clinical aspects of my vision loss to justify like your confusion around this situation? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, for me, that's come up a few times in the dating realm, too. And I'm just like, it's definitely like when people talk about red flags, I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) we can just go our separate ways. Like, I I, I appreciate it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Such a red flag. And I, I think the times where that's come up for me you know, one of the things that also happens, although I'm hoping it'll happen less as I move forward, is that I, it's, it feels very confusing in the moment. Yeah. Do you ever experience that? Like, I remember this, this guy that I'm thinking about when we, you know, talking about the hike or whatever. Um, This was like a, a couple of years, a few years ago now. And I just remember being so confused and thinking like, Am I, am, am I doing something that's making this hard or did, did I, you know, exaggerate something or did I like make it seem like I'm, you know, having a harder time than I am or am I not explaining this correctly <laughs> or like, you know, and even the example that you just gave about like explaining, you know, how you, um, how your vision is yeah. you know, and how your eyes are, it's like, Oh, it's very different than if I say, you know, Preston, I want to understand, like, what is it like for you? Like, and there's care there, right? Like, I really want to know. Or is there something I can do that would make this Mm -hmm. experience more inclusive? So, like, if we're choosing a place, is it better that we choose somewhere that has better lighting? Is it better that we choose somewhere Mm -hmm. that has fewer steps so you don't have to navigate it with your cane? Like, I'm fine with questions that are rooted in care and compassion. It's like, oh, I want to know more about you so I can create an experience where we can both be our, our, we can be who we are. Yeah. Um, And most of the times when the questions come up, it's very, I describe my dating experience overall as 
um, being the host of a podcast or an interview show that no one's watching or listening to because I, I generally <laughs> ask all the questions and then they answer like they're the star of the moment, which is fine. But like sometimes I'll just be like, okay, that's six questions in a row with no reciprocal questions. Like I'll just keep a running track. and I'll be I'm like, like, are we going on the same dates? Because I literally <laughs> am like, like, and then I'm like, okay, the themes he's talked about involve a lot of this. I'm like, who would the sponsors of this episode be? Like, I was just like, I just kind of sit there and be like, okay, narratively, like, what is my cover art for my podcast going to look like? Like, I'll just fully be like, because at that stage, I'm like, oh, I'm not being, I'm not being viewed as a person that's yeah. worthy of knowing more about. I'm just being used as a prop in the story of your own life. And I'm like, when you're used as a prop, that's also a big indicator for me. So some people will talk about um, being friends with people who are disabled in order to build credibility when they're non-disabled. So it's like, look oh, at me, God. I'm inclusive because I have disabled friends, which is something, a trope we heard about, I can't be homophobic because I have gay friends, right? Like that was a trope that existed. It continues to exist for people with disabilities where they find themselves in friendships with non-disabled folks and suddenly they're ghosted. And then you're just like, oh, but like we were doing all these things. I thought we were really close. Like what happened? Only to discover later on that like, oh, this might have just fit a narrative or a profile that that person was trying to portray. So Yeah, like you're filling a need that they yeah. have. Yeah. Totally. No, I'm the I'm supporting so... character in the sitcom yeah. of your life. Like I just like oh I see it happening no. in real time sometimes where I'm like, oh, oh no. I'm the best friend in the rom-com. But like I'm the best friend without a personality or agency or any interest. I'm just the one that comes in with the witty one-liner and then just kind of moves out of frame. I'm like, you see it sort of happening sometimes in real time. And you're like, oh, I can choose better for myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. It like makes me want to laugh and cry at the oh, same yeah. time to think about the best, that. Because... The best rom-coms <laughs> often make you do exactly that. Oh, it's so true. But I, I'm just thinking, you know how much and it's it's beautiful because I can see it so clearly thinking about it when I think about you yeah. right versus when I'm thinking about me in the story but when I think about you I just like want to cry because I'm like these idiots like you're missing out on one of the most beautiful human beings you could ever be blessed enough to you're lucky you get to breathe the same air <laughs> as possible like you know for those of you you can't see us right now but I am waving my finger around and it is just like i really feel i it's so clear to me it's it's so so clear to me like there and, and the thing that you said about no I, I really mean it and the thing that you said about how you're basically like the host of a podcast that nobody's listening to i really <laughs> resonate with that because you know i i'm a host and as yeah. you are too in in our work right and so it's like um I ask a lot of questions. I feel like asking questions is like the way I show love and care, yes. you know, right? Yes. So like when you're just sitting there and they're not asking you anything, it's just like, what is going on? Like, this is so annoying. And you can't like make people be that way. That's the other thing. You know what I mean? No, it, <laughs> oh it honestly is. It is, a, it is a learned skill. I think I have learned uh, over the last few years that, um, when we talked about the extension of grace earlier, I think I've also learned this where I'm like, people don't naturally come to conversation. Like conversation is like something that you either grow into or, or it happens organically when you've built trust with someone. So not everyone approaches an initial meet or like an initial conversation with someone ready to sort of have the back and forth and, and hold space. Like I, I've extended grace to realize that's that's true. But then at a certain point, you're just like, but when should I expect <laughs> things to be more equitable, um, yeah. if not at the outset? So and, and it's interesting because you brought this up about um, showing up in terms of friendships and relationships. But I, I also want to tie it back to career because like doing this work like in diversity, equity and inclusion, a lot of it is when we think about the concept of being an ally or being an accomplice, like you're showing up for people who don't enjoy the same forms of privilege that you do in order to learn about their experience, to amplify their voices and experiences and to take action so that they don't have to face discrimination and othering. So much of the tenets of that relationship, of allyship, of being an accomplice in like the advancement of people's rights are also what we want to see in our relationships. We want someone who shows up for us, curious to learn about our experience, 
who wants to amplify our voice in rooms where we may not be. So it might be sharing our voice for opportunities that we don't have access to, amplifying our voices when there's injustice that we're facing, and then taking action. So I will show up for you. I will speak out against that harmful law. I will be active on social media to say this isn't acceptable. I will speak up when someone says something ableist to you. You want your friends to do that. That is no longer just allyship. For me, that is the foundational basis of a friendship. So for me, everyone may not feel like they're ready to be an ally, but if you're my friend, being an ally is the bare minimum. And so if you say you're my friend and you don't show up in the ways when I'm facing oppression or othering, then for me, that's a deal breaker when it comes to friendship. And I also hope people would hold me accountable in that way. Like if I don't face certain forms of oppression, but I see a friend who does, my responsibility is to take action so that they know they're not alone. And I think one of the biggest things we can do for one another in friendships or relationships or workplaces is letting someone know you're not alone. I'm with you. I see you. I bear witness to your lived experience. And what I've witnessed is going to transform how I move forward. Wow, that is the perfect way to wrap up this conversation. I feel like you really just, you know, wrapped everything that we were talking about up with so much love. And I know that I can think of so many, I'm always thinking of the angels in our community whenever I'm recording these episodes. And I just can think of so many of them who I'm sure are like nodding their head as they're listening to you and just really... Um, feeling a deep connection to the words that you shared and, and sharing your story and just all the nuances of it. I'm always so humbled when people come on this show and like share themselves so fully. So thank you so much for being here with us, Presna. You're such a gift. Thank you so much. You're such a gift. And honestly, the community you've created and the way you've opened your arms to me, both at Chronicon and in friendship since, I am very, very grateful. And I wish you joy and abundance and all the wonderful things. Thank you. All right, loves, I hope you enjoyed this latest episode of the Thriving Together podcast. If you did, I would love to have you subscribe either on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and please be sure to rate and review the show, especially if you liked it, because it really helps make sure that this content gets to more and more people. Thanks so much for listening, and I cannot wait to be with you for the next episode.